Hello, I am Lara. <laughs> I am a human called Lara. <laughs> That's actually better. I feel like our intros are kind of like too like, I am this thing. Welcome. Welcome to the gap. <laughs> hey, hey listeners, would you like to fall into the gap? <laughs> would you? Because I'm Lara and I'm Sarah and we're here to help you. <laughs> Um, yeah, and what's, what's your favorite style of the Gap, Sarah? <laughs> I really like their boot cut jeans. <laughs> nice. I don't know. I honestly haven't been to the Gap in that, that long. Like, maybe, like, maybe. I'm a fan of their flirty skirts. I have no idea. Is that a thing? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? They have some good basic tees. Yeah, I feel like that's consistent. Yeah. yeah. They probably have some good basic tees. Solid Picking up a sponsor here. <laughs> so if you're wondering who we are, I am a human female. I really like, uh, you know, Marvel. <laughs> I can't get it off my mind. I saw Avengers Infinity War and it's all I can think about. But I sidebar, I'm also a minister and a therapist and Sarah and I met in Divinity School. I am Sarah Hoff. I am agnostic now, but we did meet in divinity school, so obviously I'm very conflicted. I now live in LA and spend a lot of my time just like dicking around, and here we are. And it's, today, I I too like to dick around, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you have a husband. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm cha. Heyo. Heyo. <laughs> um. Yes, I am married. And you probably remember that I was, like, super terrified of marriage in general. I feel like I had to talk you back into it a time or two. Well, I currently have mint in my mouth from my mint julep, so yeah. <laughs> I'm going to chew it. She's from Kentucky. She's allowed to. Yeah, and as we record this, it's derby, it's derby week. So, like, I'm going to say, like, 1% of that fear was actually about committing to someone, and, like, 99% was about, like, what does wife mean. I remember reading the book called The History of the Wife, which is excellent. I super recommend it. And that was eye-opening, but it was also horrifying. And I had researched biblical marriage, bride price, and virginity, which will will deconstruct that um, throughout this. But basically, uh, I, I studied all that in Phyllis Tribble's Old Testament theology class. And so the short version is that basically... In the Old Testament, there was this concept of like, I'm going to trade my daughter, the father would trade the daughter to a man for like, you know, like 10 cows. And then there would be this concept of like purity, that she was a virgin. So the children that she would be bearing would definitely be the man's that she was marrying. So, you know, there's all this kind of concept of of purity going into that. Um, And so I knew I didn't want a biblical marriage. That sounded super not cool. And I didn't want Ryan to trade 10 cows to my dad for my body because I'm a human person. So that seemed uncool. Like that whole idea. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but are you though? (laughs) Am I? We're just women in the world. So a couple of things. One, Phyllis Tribble is a really well-known, very well-respected second wave feminist theologian. She makes a lot of really interesting arguments about women in the Old Testament and how they actually, even though in the narratives that have come after the Bible, have 
contextualize women in more of a subjugated way, she kind of brings out the ways that women have found their voice, even in subtle ways. We talked about her in the Eve episode, that kind of thing. She's super influential. Like if uh, if the woman dies, does the does the dad get his cows back? Who gets the cows? Who gets the cows? But I remember... I'm pretty sure the guy keeps them and it's no take backsies. I think it is. I think you're right. I, think you're right. <laughs> I don't know. That's why it's so super serious. But I mean, the important thing here is the cow, right? Not the woman. Because no. I mean, the woman can only generate milk for her own child for a certain amount of time. The cow can generate milk and cheese and butter and, in the end, even meat for a very long period of time. I think... That's maybe the least popular slogan for Zales. You know, <laughs> a diamond is forever, but your wife's milk is very fleeting, so you should probably invest in a whole fleet of cows. <laughs> like, there's this one gem that has that society has imposed a specific kind of value to, even though it has no impact on your daily life. And that should be worth a lot to your woman who's basically just a magpie. She just wants the shiny glittery. Anyways, back to the story. Back to the story. We're getting way off topic. Can we just can we just talk about True Love Waits for a second? Because True Love yeah. Waits is like I can't I can't I can't even I definitely signed the True Love Waits cards. I had no idea I had no intention of having sex until marriage. I thought, you know, if I did that, maybe my vagina would just like shrivel up and fall out of me. <laughs> and it's science. It's science. It's science. Yeah. So true love waits is basically this idea that you sign a pledge to wait until you're married to have sex. And then your parents, specifically your dad, but your parents give you, gives you a ring that you put on your wedding but, finger. Not your That's- vagina. You put it on your finger, not in your vagina. Okay. No, no. That's called the chastity belt. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a new ring, not a, a not a pure ring. <laughs> very, it's a that has a very different context okay. and Fair. implication attached to it. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> um, and and so like the idea is that once you get married, then you give your husband this purity ring. Which, by the way, I still have my purity ring. Okay, I'm going to need you to take a picture of your purity ring. And I'm going to put it out on Twitter. Awesome. So it was kind of funny because at our, uh, at our school, I felt like all the people that were signing it were people that ha- were sexually active, which was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't sign it because I thought it was dumb. And I was still a virgin when I signed it. And I feel like at my school, like, there was kind of this narrative of, like, well, as long as you do it in the butt, you're still a virgin. And like, which is just so fucked in terms of how we think about the concept of virginity in general. Like, what even is that? So there's this fantastic article um, by Amy Dennison in The Guardian um, from February 18th, 2017, entitled True Love Waits, The Story of My Purity Ring and Feeling Like I Didn't Have a Choice. And she states that her father gave her a purity ring at age 13, and she signed a true love weights pledge to not have sex until marriage. She notes this became harmful to her and also cites a Yale study where 88% of purity pledgers had sex anyway. So what's the point of it all? Yeah, you know, I, um, I actually do have like a strong passion for 
sex education in the South and the Southeast, if I were going to come back to the South or the Southeast, it would be probably like what would bring me back there would be if I like got a job teaching sex education to students or, or even like trying to change legislation down there. It is so messed up. And I have so many stories of being denied proper education, being denied the morning after pill, like all kinds of things, because there is a pervasive assumption. There's a pervasive, I don't know, um, stereotype or whatever that like ultimately harms the whole population because then, you know, people have sex without understanding the parameters. They don't understand the context. They don't understand what their options are. And then it leads to a whole system that is unhappy and degradating, Mm -hmm. degrading, not degradating, degrading. I like your new word. Degradating. It's a very cromulent word. Yes, it's cromulent. (laughs) Anyways, but I just got off on a thing. So what's dangerous about abstinence-only sex education programs filling that are in this purity culture is that they, they are harmful. They do not allow for they they like are statistically they have higher pregnancy rates and those sorts of things in the npr september 2017 journal of adolescent health they state that abstinence only sex education programs are harmful and unethical because they do not lower pregnancy rates or rates of scds nor do they succeed in their aim of reducing pre-wedding sex they are unethical because they don't give kids the info they need about their bodies and how to stay safe during sex In addition, the same article states that a separate 2004 report prepared for the House Democrats states that these programs reinforce male dominance and female passivity and attitudes correlated to increase domestic violence. So like, let's unpack that a little bit. Like what, what I just said was a lot and let's talk about that. So essentially what I'm saying is that Studies have been done that abstinence-only education does not decrease pregnancy or STD, I don't know, transmission, and that, in fact, the culture of it does increase or does like offer a possibility for domestic violence because of this ingrained idea of male dominance and female passivity. Absolutely. And so it's within this purity culture of male ownership of women's sexuality that we come to the concept of the biblical wedding. We're supposedly, Sarah, women are virgins. I never really got the impression that male virginity is that important because the focus is so much on women, right? And I know in my conservative Christian high school, that was the case. And it's interesting what of this conservative male ownership of women is still handed down. Like, that was something that I noticed in, in reading that book that I mentioned earlier, The History of the Wife, where, you know, it talked about uh, brides, you know, wearing white to symbolize purity, dads walking daughters down the aisle to give them away to their husband, right? Vows about obeying and honoring the husband from the wife. And even at the end, pronouncing the man and wife, Mr. and Mrs. John Doe, right? That basically erases Uh, the woman's identity completely. I still really get twitchy when I get mail addressed to Mrs. Ryan Eller. It's like, where did I go? Where the fuck am I? I'm right here. I think, yeah, I mean, it's it's super problematic that there is a longstanding refrain of boys will be boys, but there's no equivalent of like girls will be girls. 
or if like, I guess arguably there would be an equivalent, but the idea of each is so gender specific. It's so caricature gender specific. So in the context, a bride does wear white because she is supposed to be pure, but the guy doesn't have to wear white because he'll be a boy. He's a boy being a boy. If he, yeah, if he, if he has good sexual experience, it's just, you know, he's just, he's just, he's just getting experience. But if a woman sleeps around, she's, she's a hoe, right? That's kind of the narrative. Yeah. And I would like to say that in recent times, these narratives are far less pervasive than they once were. And there is much more equality in those kinds of choices than there, than there once were. But if we're looking specifically at this biblical context and within a, you know, a Christian narrative, we have to address what the Christian community states overall. I'd say, and I would say specifically the conservative Christian community, yeah, because that's yeah. definitely not the case in my church or in a lot of denominations, but kind of in the more conservative fundamentalist sl- side of it, that it's definitely very patriarchal. Yeah, for sure. Sorry, we just totally got on a tangent. Um, let's get back into the actual Bible. So let's look at 1 Corinthians seven twenty-five to 35, where Paul talks about marriage and in it, he's he like clearly doesn't even see the point of marriage. He, I'm actually going to look it up and recite it. Um, okay. So bear with us, guys. This is kind of a long passage, but it's good. So NRSV, 1 Corinthians 25 to 35. Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give my opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the impending crisis, it is well for you to remain as you are. As you are bound to a wife, do not seek to be free. If you are free from a wife, do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you do not sin. And if a virgin marries, she does not sin. Yet those who marry will experience distress in life, and I would spare that. I mean, brothers and sisters, the appointed time has grown short. From now on, let those who have wives be as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they are not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they are not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they are not, they have no possessions, and those who deal in the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. And that's actually just 25 through 31, but you kind of get the idea, right? Like that there's this urgency that he's expressing. And what he's saying there is that there is a task, there's a mission that we have to get to and our time is drawn short and it's not really like marriage is kind of secondary there. Yeah. Like, absolutely. You know, I think he's thinking about, you know, he's focusing on the time is drawn short. So he, he's not even thinking that like Jesus it's going to be like Jesus coming back very soon. Right. right. So he's just like, everybody get their shit together. And he's talking to, he's talking to this church at Corinth and saying that like, y'all like, cause they, there was a lot of division and strife. And so he's talking to them and saying, you really just need to get it together and focus on what you're doing. And so that's why he doesn't really care about the concept of marriage. Like he, at this point, he's just like, it's not even important. We just have to focus on the task at hand. In that letter, he specifically addresses arguing sexual issues that are causing drama and a specific group of women who are gossiping. And I, and I want to be clear that that is not something that he addresses in other letters. A lot of, a lot of them he's lifting up women. So this is very specific to the church at Corinth. So there is a specific group of women in that a lot of times that gets extrapolated in the conservative community to say, 
all women. Hashtag not all women. <laughs> so it's important to note that it's definitely uh, taken taken out of, of context a lot of times. Yeah. And, and like, to be fair, there's another passage in First Corinthians, the love is patient, love is kind, that we all know. We've all heard it. Shit, like every wedding. The idea is that it's way more about getting them to calm down and respect each other than it is about marriage. It's in a chapter that's sandwiched between a chapter on spiritual gifts where people's talents need to be respected and honored and a chapter on difference in worship. So in this context, Paul is not trying to be our host to to like the bachelor, if you get my drift. He's not trying to like hook people up or like couple people up. He's trying to get them to like chill the fuck out. Absolutely. I mean, like you can use it for a wedding, but you just need to know that it is not really about that, right? <laughs> and perhaps the most overused and not understood passage in weddings is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 29. It's one of the more contested passages of the Bible where Paul says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. Um, I think I must have left out the part where there's definitely like wives submit to your husband's. There's definitely uh, certain translations that that talk about like wives submitting to your husbands, but it's really uh, that's that's a loaded passage because it is definitely about like husbands do this, wives do this. It's meant to be like a a mutual kind of like listen to each other, just listen to each other, right? And then it's taken out of context of being like, hey, see, I don't know if I agree with that. Okay, because because you see like his writings to others, like in first Timothy are very patriarchal in that way saying, you know, women should learn in silence. They shouldn't speak over a man, that kind of thing. And, and that's not to say that Paul isn't like, I don't, I don't know that patriarchy was Paul's first deal. It, it just seems like Paul had like, he had a, he had a task, he had a goal, he was going to do whatever it took to get there. And so he was trying to like, say the things to the people in each situation to get them kind of on board, in my opinion. But what is end up happening is that those letters have become kind of like canon in how Christians should act socially. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really interesting because he, uh, what the, the part in Acts, right, where he's at the Areopagus, he's like, I remember he's, he's talking to the pagans and he's like, hey, what if God's just like that unnamed deity that you worship just in case you forgot one, right? Like he's very, uh, he's very politically savvy. So, you know, we know that in certain contexts he's like lifted up people like uh, Priscilla or Chloe as like people who are these, these priests slash deacons slash church starters. And he's all about them. He doesn't have a problem with all women. We know that. Yeah. But it's, it, there is a, um, I'm looking at this like BBC news article and it's saying that they're talking about is, does he have different messages for different people? And I definitely think that's true, right? He famously wrote to the Jews, I became a Jew to win the Jews. To those, you know, not having the Jewish law I became like one not having the law. So 
Paul was raised a Jew, right? So he can talk to Jews and then he can turn around and talk to pagans or Gentiles and say something else. Um, and he says something like, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. So he's got this idea of like, he's very, very, very politically savvy, right? He has to say, he's, he's, he's looking out for A, the survival of the church, number one, the survival yeah. of the church and getting people ready for Jesus impending return, which he thinks is going to happen at any moment. Mm-hmm. And he's also trying to kind of like address some of the controversial issues that are happening all over the place. And just trying to get them to like, address more of the issues at hand. And so I think sometimes he sacrifices these, I don't know how to put it. Maybe he sacrifices some of the like social issues of the day at the time because he thinks, Hey, we just got to get the job done. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of read it as like the social issues of the day don't concern him unless that social issue has a negative effect on like his end goal. So like, uh, what what passage was it? What book was it where um, the church was talking about one another as brother and sisters and it became like a social thing where people thought they were incestuous, but they weren't. And it was like a deal. And, and so he had to address it. Do you know what I mean? Um, Am I getting so that right? I, yeah. No, I, I don't know that. Yeah. No, that definitely was a thing in the early church. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's totally true. Um, the Romans had this understanding that, um, so, so the early Christian church, they addressed each other as brothers and sisters in Christ and they would kiss each other, right? They would greet each other with a kiss on the cheek. And they also had communion, right? And, and their version of communion was we're eating the flesh and blood of Christ. We're eating the bread and the wine, which became, according to still current ideas in the Catholic Church, right, transubstantiation. Somehow when we bless it, it becomes the body and blood of Christ. So it's very easy, right, for Romans who want to be like, oh, these bitches are crazy, right? They can be like, they're cannibals. These fuckers are cannibals and they're eating people, right? So there's a lot of rumors going around about the people in the early church. And so I feel like it's very interesting because you have, you know, this, this very egalitarian strain in the church where clearly women are leaders and he's affirming that. But then he's also like, depending on the church, willing to kind of tamp it down and say like, okay, you need to hush and you need to hush and Like, let's just put out fires because the goal is keeping these churches vibrant because Jesus is coming back. So on the one hand, he's practicing it by having all these like, you know, women leaders around him. But then on the other hand, he's like willing to kind of sacrifice it because he's like, listen, they think we're cannibals and, and that we're committing incest. So it's kind of interesting to see what his, uh, what his marketing strategy is. So, yeah. So like, what do we do with it now? Like, how does the Christian church, I mean, like I am outside of that largely because of how Paul has been interpreted. So how does the church now like push away from that, current interpretation like how does that happen well i can tell you what i do and that is (laughs) it is super easy to preach on the gospels the matthew mark luke and john right because i feel like jesus constantly telling stories that are parables so they make sense you can explain them you know you can say okay you know this parable or that parable it means this you know how does it translate to today those sermons are very easy whenever i give a sermon on paul which I don't, don't normally do, to be honest, because you're right. Like it's, it's difficult to do because you have to describe 
this is what's going on in this particular church. This is why he would have said this to this particular church. Okay, now let's talk about a scenario, you know, in your workplace where you might be real effing cranky about, you know, <laughs> so-and-so and so-and-so, right? Like you have to like contextualize it. Yeah. And I think when churches do that right, when they are educating from the pulpit, when they're educating in their Bible study classes, you know, when they're contextualizing and and educating in a very responsible way, then it can be a very healthy thing of like, hey, let's interpret these ancient documents that are 2000 years ago and see how they might, what gems we might glean from them. And sidebar, I think also churches have to be doing exactly what you're saying in terms of sex ed. I think churches should be integrating sex ed into their, because we don't know, depending on the state, if sex ed is being handled properly at all. Mm-hmm. So like, I would love it. You know, if I had a kid, I would want my kid to be able to know that the church is a safe place where they can learn healthy information about sex without shame and know that their bodies are something to be celebrated. So that would be like wonderful on both, on both accounts. But getting back to this, what we're really trying to get at is that there are a lot of narratives for how marriage and love are seen in the Bible. So like we have this other narrative of in Song of Solomon, which we've already referenced Song of Solomon 8, 6 through 7. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about that? So yeah, we have talked about this before and it is gorgeous. And I think if you're going to, if you want to use one for your wedding, this is great. It is about two unmarried people having sex, but you know what? Like that's great. Like it's two people who are consenting and love each other. Here it is. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. And that's Song of Songs um, 8 verses 6 through 7. It's just so sweet. And again, like this is the second time we've read this on the podcast. And I like so much about this passage that these people aren't married, that love is not something that is specific to a legal union. Love is something that's more fluid than that. And it's amazing when people take that step to commit and make it a a choice that they're going to make every day. But Marriage isn't just about like an external vow. It is an internal thing. And that's kind of, I think what we're trying to get at here is that it's a choice. There are lots of narratives about it in the Bible. It's gotten kind of siloed into one specific thing in modern Christianity, but it doesn't have to be. I agree with that. And also I think about that a lot, especially, you know, in the lead up to um, the legalization of gay marriage. And I had the amazing honor of being able to perform the first gay marriage in the state of Kentucky, um, the first legal gay marriage in the state of Kentucky. And it was really heartbreaking for me that the religious ceremony was a week before and we could not make it legal. Right. And, and that just talks about how, to me, it's bullshit, right? Because you have a whole lot of dynamics at play there. And it, and that kind of goes to show exactly what you're saying that love in a lot of ways doesn't know any bounds. And a lot of times we tend to put like earthly limitations on that and that can be complete bullshit. <laughs> so, so I just want to affirm that, that I think in many ways that that song of songs passion, uh, passage can be really lovely because 
it is between two unmarried people at a time when that would have been scandalous. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of pushes our bounds of love because I think we live in an age where that needs to be, that needs to be pushed. We need to think about how much can we love and be boundaries to love. It's just like, I love that there are so many narratives and there's one. And so we have, you know, we have this kind of like patriarchal one. We have the unmarried couple, but what else do we have? Yeah. So we, um, I guess that's, that's the issue that I have. I don't think that there is a concept of a biblical marriage or wedding in the Bible because we have, I mean, what are we talking about? Are we talking about David? Because David had like seven wives. Are we talking about Abraham? Because he had a wife and then he had a, a handmaid slash slave, right? That he had sex with and had a baby with and then cast her out. Um, Hagar. Or Moses. I think Moses had uh, one wife in, in, was it Bora? I'm trying to remember her name now. Or are we talking no wives, right? Jesus was supposedly celibate. Or are we talking about where the concept of leave her at marriage, where brothers, um, where, where someone would, ha- if their brother died, they'd have to marry their brother's wife in order to keep them in the family and safe because of the concept of like widows and orphans. They had no other way to make money other than become sex workers. Um, we have women who are raped and then coerced into marriage, like David and Bathsheba right? David, spoiler alert, that's going to be our next episode. So you're going to find out a little bit more about that. So I have some issues with that. I don't think that there is a concept, a coherent concept of that. I think the best we have is examples of couples working side by side, like Priscilla and Aquila in the New Testament, um, who are on equal footing and Paul's kind of the way he, he talks about disciples. Um, we have the unmarried couple in Song of Solomon's who are madly in love. As a Christian minister who does weddings, I think it's probably best to look at what Jesus or other biblical figures say on love in general and then extrapolate that to relationships. So a couple of things. Like, uh, I'm wondering if one of the reasons why, or a main reason, I'm wondering if one of the main reasons why these more problematic narratives are highlighted is because they get more play, they get more airtime. You know, like Priscilla and Aquila is not a big story in the Bible. It's there, but it's kind of in passing. But the story in first or like the the statement in First Timothy, that is that's a statement. The story of, you know, Moses and the story of these women in the Old Testament, those are statements. Those get more airtime and you know, powerful women, Mary, mother of God, is the only one who gets like a really substantial voice in, is she the only voice, the only woman voice in the apostles? Uh, in the She has a song, I think, Elizabeth, doesn't Elizabeth have a song? The mother of, uh, I feel like Elizabeth has at least a couple lines of dialogue. Who is the mother of John the Baptist? That's a really good question. I just... Ooh. I feel like I remember Mary Magdalene has, I think Mary Magdalene has a few lines. She does like, and they all have like a few lines, but it's Mary mother of God who gets like a, she gets her song and that's, yeah. that's all she gets. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, all of, all of this is to say that there are a lot of narratives that you have to tease out, but what has happened is that those narratives have been lost and there's, like and has been reduced down to this one specific idea that women are supposed to be virgins. It doesn't matter if guys are. I mean, it's better if they are, but it doesn't really matter. And I think that's partially because, you know, men 
wrote the Bible, right? Yeah. I mean, you've got, you know, you think about who had the education at the time, who knew how to read and write, right? That's, that was, that was given to men and women yeah. were expected to run the household and have babies. Yeah. So that is, and it's, and it's tough, I think, to take that and be like, oh, okay, let's take this as literal truth in the 21st century. And that's a huge problem, right? We have to, that's why we have to contextualize it and look back on it and extrapolate it. So the biblical wedding, it's not a thing. Not a thing. I, and I'm, I'm glad to say as, as, a, as a Christian minister who does weddings, I do not have a biblical marriage because my husband and I see each other as equal humans. <laughs> <laughs> and I did not have a biblical wedding. My mom and dad both gave me away and we would have done the same with his parents, but divorced, remarried, there's four of them. So how can you do that? So it was just kind of like, whatever. So, <laughs> <laughs> but we, you know, we had statements on equality. I kept my own name. I chose to do that. I kept my maiden, my maiden name. I, I feel like it was a very feminist wedding. And thanks. Oh, um, yay. You know, we also, it was very important to us that we acknowledge that at the time, our gay and lesbian friends could not get married. So we asked for donations for human rights campaign. Um, so where I want to leave us is that the, the concept of a biblical marriage or a biblical wedding is very, it, it's not a thing. If someone tells you that's a thing, it's not a thing. It's not a damn thing. So just like, whatever. It's yeah. about love. Just look like a little bit harder. <laughs> you know? Just a wee bit. Just like look around. If you are comfortable with it, please come talk to us. Please come talk to Laura. She's better about it than I am. <laughs> right? And we can actually tell you how to find us, as it turns out. If you have no idea where the hell you found us, you can find us again on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And you can talk to us uh, on Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter. Um, at Bible Bitches is where you can find us. You can also talk to us on Facebook on our fan page. But I, I think the Twitter page is more active. Um, you can also email us. I think Sarah's checking that occasionally. Bible betches with an E. Bible betches. Um, because, you know, Gmail, they can be a little, they're a little prudy, but it's fine. It's whatever. It's cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm just getting spam right now. So <laughs> nice. I would love to get something that's not spam. <laughs> I think everybody just wants to communicate via Twitter. It's fine. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> and so, of course, big thanks to Engaged Gays for hosting our podcast. You guys are great. We love your content. And um, a huge shout out to Miss Eves. You can find her at Yo Eves on Twitter. She's doing our intro and outro music with her song TNT. It's great. It's fantastic. You yeah, she's, I think she's getting ready to drop a new single. So You guys should check out her whole discography it's good and then of course like super big shout out to aaron doodles his name is aaron smith you can find him on twitter at aaron doodles he did he's doing our artwork and we've been really like leaning on him a lot we love you aaron oh my gosh yeah he's so great he's uh he's actually we're talking about doing a first wave of merch it's not going to go up <laughs> on any sort of website it's going to be in person the first time we are going to do a live show together is going to be at wild goose yes i'm so excited i'm so excited be there yes. be there it's in hot springs and north, north carolina. carolina in north carolina i am looking up the dates very excitedly right now i cannot remember it is july it's july um like 13th through the 16th or i'm sorry july 13th through the 15th right yep and so our sh we will probably be recording from somewhere in the woods on the 13th or the 14th we're just Where gonna we're just gonna Papa squat, 
in, uh, in somewhere in hot springs and just uh, see what happens. We're so pretty classy. Just maybe get some moonshine and yeah. go to it. We're <laughs> not going to be entirely sober, so good time to ask questions. Great time to ask questions. <laughs> so come find us at yes. the Wild Goose. Please, please. We would love it. And, oh, and if you want us in your city, let us know. Oh, my God. That would be fucking amazing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Come to L.A. Laura, come to L.A. Like, or wait. Sarah, come to Louisville. If you want to send either L.A. or Louisville, <laughs> you're willing to do shows very, very easily. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye, you guys. Bye.